Okay, ladies, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I hate to break up this wonderful conversation around the tables, but I want you guys to have time to discuss when I'm finished. And there's a lot to be said about children and discipline, so just bear with me. I'll try to get through it quickly. We're now in the second half of this book about committing our children to God, and Sharon shared last week about what the word commit means and how this idea of letting go of control. Well, today we are in chapter 7 of the book, and this is about having peace and discipline. And there's handouts on your tables. Feel free to use those uh, to follow along if you would like. Sarah Wallace, the author of the book, begins the chapter on page 99 with a sentiment that I think every new mom has, and that is she, after having her first child, she said, I so badly wanted to do the whole mom thing right. Now, how many of you have ever felt that with your children? Amen. That's right. I know. We can say amen, by the way, as Presbyterians. (laughs) I felt the same way. I remember having my first child, and I was so excited. I had always wanted to be a mother. And I remember the day that I looked down at little Caroline in the cradle, and I had this overwhelming thought. I thought to myself, yay, I get to be a mommy to the sweet baby girl. At the very same moment, I thought, oh, no, I get to be a mommy to the sweet baby girl. How do I do it? How do I do it? I don't want to mess this up. And I thought to myself, she did not come with instructions. But you see, she did. Because right beside the cradle, there was a bedside table. And on that table was my Bible. And I realized in that moment that I had access to the perfect child training manual. I had the Holy Spirit to guide me. I had the God of the universe fighting for this tiny covenant child, sovereignly ordaining every moment that would be in her life. And y'all, she looked so innocent. She was swaddled in a blanket that a lady in our church had made for her. And as I looked at her, I thought to myself, her parents and all of Adam's posterity are born with a heart deceitful above all things. And she was too. J.C. Ryle says, the mother cannot tell whether her tender infant may grow up to be tall, short, weak, or strong, wise or foolish. He may be any of these things or not. It is all uncertain. But one thing the mother can say with certainty, he will have a corrupt and sinful heart. You see, she was brought forth in iniquity with folly bound up in her heart, but she was also a chosen child. And she was under the watchful care of God. And despite my lack of mommy experience and insecurities, she would remain a covenant child. Well, that little baby girl, also known in our household as the guinea pig, because she's the oldest, we're still learning on her, but she's 21 now. She's in seminary. She's studying biblical counseling, and that's not because of anything we necessarily did right or wrong, but it is simply because God is in the business of making good on his promises and filling in the gaps as we pilgrim through a fallen world as mothers. He blesses the humility and the eagerness of the mother on her knees. He sustains when all seems hopeless with a difficult toddler or a difficult teenager or a wayward child. 
He cares when we've had a very long day with little people, and our husband comes home from work to find us crying in the fetal position in the closet. You see, parenting is hard work, and disciplining our children is hard work. But let me suggest to you that it is worth it. And the Bible is not silent on how or why to do it. Well, in my time today, I have three goals. That is to provide a biblical apologetic for disciplining children and to highlight some key points from the chapter. And then I also want to share with you some practical tips that I've learned along the way as it relates to the discipline of children. I am very much still in the discipline of children. My youngest is two years old, and I discipline every single day. And I know that when I was at a lot of your stages of being home with just a few children that were very young, I would have loved to hear some tips on discipline because I didn't know how to do it. I just knew I wanted to do it right. So I will be sharing that with you later on. I hope it will be encouraging. Well, the author does a great job of explaining this concept of discipline, but I want to begin with what God says about discipline. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 12. We'll be going through chapter or uh, verses uh, 1 through 11. So chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God." Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard the lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your inspired word, the ultimate and perfect user guide for every weary mama. I pray that my words would be your words today, convict where needed, encourage where disheartened. May I decrease and you increase as we consider this matter of peace and discipline. In Jesus' name, I pray. 
Well, after a brief introduction, the writer of Hebrews reminds his readers that they have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in their struggle against sin. He also reminds them that God calls them sons and encourages them as such. Now, after all, this would have been uh, Jewish believers who would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. So they already know that the, the encouragement that God has given back in Proverbs. In Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. In other words, he acknowledges that they're going through a hard time and suggests that they consider whether this hard time is a matter of God's discipline. If it is, it's only because God delights in his children. We see in Job 5.17, it says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves, therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I'm going to assume that every one of you represented here today signed up for this Bible study because you are invested in your children. You desire to be a godly mother and you delight in the children the Lord has given you. Well, guess what? God delights in you as his child. And because of that delight, he disciplines his children. And are we not to do the same? Verse 10 gives a very real human illustration. It says, our fathers disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. But what's the point here? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And we've talked about this around our table the past few weeks, how our job as mothers is not to make our children happy but rather instill holiness. And the Bible clearly states here that discipline is one of the tools God causes, calls us to use to work holiness in our children. Now, in our culture, I know that you know this, discipline is sometimes thought of as a dirty word with a, a negative connotation that it's somehow mean or cruel to discipline. And we should all be about love and tolerance, allowing a child to get in touch with their inner feelings and maybe you've heard this, to use their emotion words instead in lieu of discipline. But scripture would disagree. Discipline is evidence of love. And here it is. When you consistently discipline your child and you do it with the right attitude, compassionately, under control, with consistent boundaries and consequences, and focused on the child's best outcome, you are expressing love exactly as God sometimes expresses his love. It's actually one of the most compassionate things you can do for your children, setting them up for holiness and fruitfulness in God's kingdom. So it turns out the Bible is right again, and the world's wisdom is lacking. As I was preparing for this lesson, I was reading an article about discipline. It said, and I quote, the Bible's perspective on discipline is affirmed by what many psychologists and sociologists are now learning about child development. Here it is. Children left to themselves will do what all people left to themselves in a fallen world will do. They'll make bad decisions that produce pain and turmoil in their lives. Relationships won't work right. Money will be mismanaged and debt will pile up. Conflict will erupt both within and without 
and long-term goals will never be realized. Now, this is not to say that if you discipline, your, everything's going to go well for your children, everything will turn out right. It's, it's just pointing out the opposite, that children left to themselves, it just doesn't go well. And it's certainly a motivation to discipline, but our motivation must be threefold. And this is on your handout. First of all, we discipline our children because God's word commands it. It doesn't just encourage it, it commands it. And there's several scriptures that speak to this. Proverbs 29:17 has this to say to parents. Discipline your child and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. And then in Proverbs 13:24 we read, "He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him." Now, there's two words in that verse that I want to draw your attention to. First is the word careful. And this has a connotation of not being a haphazard discipline. This is intentional, deliberate, planned out discipline for your child. And the other word I want to camp out on for a minute is the word, the use of the word rod. And it's the word rod, which in Hebrew is shavet, that causes misinterpretation. You've probably heard spare the rod and spoil the child. Well, that's actually not in the Bible. But the word in Proverbs 13.24 the, has the same Hebrew meaning as the word used in Psalm 23.4, that word rod. And this is a familiar psalm that speaks of God as our shepherd and ourselves as being his sheep. Um, I'm going to stop here and just encourage you. Uh, one of my favorite uh, parenting resources is Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. If, if you don't have that book... I would highly recommend getting it as part of your parenting toolbox. Um, it's wonderful. And the, the idea is that as Jesus is our shepherd and he is guiding us as his, as his sheep, we are to be the shepherds to our children. So let's take a close look at these verses in um, Psalm 23, which I know you're all familiar with. If we start back in uh, verse 3 and through 4, it says, He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And it's easy to lump those two words together, rod and staff, and think of it as one thing. But it's very significant when we look at the differences and what that means to a shepherd. Now, it just so happens that uh, my four-year-old was Moses for the Reformation Party. And he graciously let me borrow his staff this morning. For this illustration, so the staff for a shepherd, the staff was a long pole with a hook on the end, and the hook was used to help sheep that had fallen into a hole or crevice or otherwise become stuck. The crooked end would gently surround the sheep and bring him out of danger. But the rod was different. The rod was shorter than the staff, and it was used to keep the sheep going together on the right path. It was not a device to hurt the sheep, rather used as a guiding tool to defend the sheep from wild animals. Do you see the connection here to discipline? So what is the rod? Well, Ted Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, I, I like his definition best. It says, the rod as a, a parent in faith toward God and faithfulness toward his or her children, undertaking the responsibility of careful timely, measured, and controlled use of physical punishment to underscore the importance of obeying God, 
thus rescuing the child from continuing in his foolishness until death. That is what it means when we say the rod. So you see, discipline is meant to help our children remember the instructions of their parents and God's word. And the rod is one way to discipline as parents. And it's the primary way for younger children. So the second motivation to discipline is because you love your children. The author mentions that the goal of discipline is love. Hebrews 12, 6, he disciplines the one he loves. Now the world would seek to reverse God's plan and take the position of, well, I'm going to withhold discipline from the one that I love because I want them to like me. But that's not love, according to the Bible. If you truly love your child, you will want to love them the way God does. So let's think about this. If a perfect heavenly father disciplines those whom he loves, why would we not, though imperfect, as earthly parents seek to do the same? He's our standard. He's our example. If he disciplines those he loves, why would we not also do that? It's folly to think that a lack of discipline will produce a strong character or happy children opting for a friendship with our child that requires little effort. God's word simply differs on the matter and obliges the Christian mother to get her hands dirty and do the work of discipline, not be spectators on the sidelines, but to get in the game. You see, parenting is not a spectator sport. Listen to this quote. Children sometimes say, I wish my parents would stop getting involved in my life. But is that what they really want? This idea of having total freedom without any oversight, teaching, or correction sounds very attractive to a child. However, when a person looks at the long-term effects on children who are raised by parents who simply watch them live their lives, never setting up boundaries, or talking about important topics with them, essentially taking a hands-off approach to parenting, these same children often wish that their parents would have stopped them from making bad choices and took time to communicate with them when they needed to stop doing something wrong. So why do parents step back from parenting? Well, the top answer seems to be, I want my child to like me. Other reasons include, I don't want negative interactions with my child. My parents were too heavy-handed with me and I didn't like it. Or it takes too much of my time. I want to spend my time with my children doing something besides correcting behaviors. Or, I don't know what I'm doing. What if I do it wrong and they end up hating me? Well, as mothers, we are simply called to discipline. We are not called to be buddy-buddy with our children. We are to obey God's word to biblically discipline and trust him with the results. Now, at a ball game, the fans on the sidelines don't score any points, do they? Only the players do that. And it's time to stop standing on the sidelines as parents because our children need us. And even deep down, they want us to discipline them. Children crave boundaries. If you haven't figured that out yet, you will. They crave boundaries. They thrive on routine. They want to know that they are loved enough to be worth the time and energy that discipline requires. Proverbs 5.23, he dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. 
In fact, sometimes, not always, a child is acting out or really uh, crying, they're crying out for attention because they desperately need the rod to correct them and restore relationship. A lack of discipline is actually frustrating to a child. And the author mentions that children will test boundaries to know whether they are cared for. If they do not sense the boundaries, they will not feel loved and secure. So that's the second motivation for discipline is because you love your child. The third motivation for discipline is that you are in a war for your children's hearts. This may be the most important one. The author mentions this in the chapter, but I want to highlight this aspect for just a moment. Now, why do I say that we are in a war? Because the Bible does. In Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, the evil one does not want you to discipline your children. He knows that a well-ordered home with consistent biblical instruction and discipline works against his schemes. He desires to grow his kingdom in defiance to God's kingdom. And he will work overtime to discourage your discipline, making you question the efficacy of it or tempt you to just throw in the towel. Well, the author describes the scene of disciplining a toddler for hitting just to see him hit seconds again later. How many of you have had that experience with your children? You discipline them, and then they do the exact same thing again. Well, disciplining and all of parenting, for that matter, is a marathon. It is not a sprint. And the author notes that just like we want a difficult labor to end so we can hold that baby and not be in pain anymore, we tend to want to reap but not do the hard work of sowing. But it doesn't work that way, does it? We sow and then we reap. It takes a lot of tilling and pruning. And just as a farmer knows it may take many months or years of good hard work to harvest a crop, we need to be patient too and not give up when we are tired, remembering that we will reap a harvest in due season if we do not give up. It's Galatians 6, 9. And let me suggest to you that a child without discipline is a much bigger problem than the dishes that are piling up, the, la- the mountain of laundry piling up, or even the incomplete school assignment. The discipline has to be a priority. And we're not guaranteed when the season of reaping will come, but we must trust God's sovereignty and obey his word while we wait. And this is um, piggybacking on an idea that we talked about last week, the idea of working and resting simultaneously. We are to obey God's word and wait, obey and wait. We should not assume that discipline isn't working if we don't see immediate change in a child, because consistency is so very important. Remember I said that Satan would love to undo your discipline and make things more difficult? Well, I personally think that he works overtime on the Lord's Day. (laughs) I think Sharon mentioned last week, whoever wrote Easy Like Sunday Morning has never taken toddlers to church. (laughs) Sundays can be hard, right? Getting little people to church, and then you get there and you're still training in the pew, right? And one Sunday morning of discipline and training is never enough. It takes many Sundays. And this is a little something I wrote a few years ago to include in a book that I'm working on, and I hope it will be encouraging. And, y'all, this is a true story, okay? We've all been there. 
After a dueling round of get-out-the-door Sunday morning shuffle, you find yourself at the worship service in the pew with the same children who were causing such a fuss on the way to church. You wonder if it will ever get any easier. You may be asking, is it all worth it? You may be thinking, I don't feel very spiritual right now after the way things went in loading the car. How do I worship when I am parenting in the pew? Are they getting anything out of the service? Why can't my Johnny act like Susie over there? She sits toward the front with her parents every Sunday like a statue. Seriously, she doesn't move. It's almost robotic. Standing straight to sing, sitting straight to listen, and taking notes, no doubt with perfect grammar and spelling. She even has the creeds memorized. And then I look around at my own brood. My youngest is licking the communion cup left in the pew from the early service. (laughs) Another child is drawing a Lego adversary on the visitor cards. Another one is eating every mint out of an Altoids box he found in Dad's suit coat. And another one is falling asleep. I sigh, and I feel my heart beating fast, imagining what may happen next. And then I hear a thud. Another hymn book has dropped to the floor. The kind gentleman in front of us hands us yet another crayon that rolled its way down to his pew. He smiles with an understanding look, admiring these little pew delinquents. I'm curious to his thoughts. Does he see something I'm missing? My mind wonders, what does God see? Does he know my heart as a mother? I know I should bring these little sinners I call children to church and offer them the means of grace, but sometimes it is just so hard. I cry out to God, and like he so often does, he scoops up my weary mother's heart yet again and sanctifies my thinking. You see, we do not get a Sunday off from disciplining. Discipline is seven days a week, and sometimes it feels like 24 hours a day. The author notes that discipline should be woven all throughout everyday life. She says, if I think about discipline only when my kids disobey, I'll be less prepared. I'll get caught off guard and say, what do I do now? And when children are young, it seems like discipline is more straightforward. But as children get older, it gets more complicated and it becomes more about the conversation. I think of uh, Deuteronomy 6 a lot, um, the idea of impressing the commandments on our children, talking to our children when we rise, when we sit, when we walk along the way. And the word discipline actually means to teach. Parents are teachers. Even if they don't deliberately teach Parents still teach their children. Children are learners. If they don't, even if they don't want to learn, children still learn from their parents and others. What are you teaching your children through discipline or the lack thereof? Because we're all teaching our children something. Well, this brings me to the practical ways um, that we discipline in the home. And I want to share just some personal experiences that we've had. I hope that it will be helpful. Um, some resources that Kevin and I have used along the way. I know that um, you ladies are in the throes of discipline with younger children. Um, is what I like to call the spanking stage. Now, is spanking necessary? I would submit to you, yes. Why is spanking necessary? Because spanking is part of God's method for driving the foolishness out of the hearts of our children. But you don't have to take my word for it. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, 
but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, let me say, discipline may look different for different families, for different children in the same family, and at different seasons of motherhood. For example, I have some children that a look just does the job. I have other children who like to see how close to the line that they can get, and then I still have other children who like to see how far over the line that they can go. We have 10 different personalities running around in our home, and tending the garden of their heart is hard work and can be overwhelming. But I would encourage you to talk to your husband about what discipline strategies are best for your and your individual family. Pray about it. God will reveal his plan for your family. Now I've got 12 considerations on your handout. There's probably 112, but we'll just go with these 12 today. And I think probably the most important one is consistency. It's so, so important. Children come with these little radars and they keep tack, keep track of our inconsistencies. Even when we forget they will keep us on our toes, won't they? An older child will remind you what you didn't let them get away with at the age of their younger sibling. A younger child will secretly hope you forgot what they did wrong before you get around to correction. And that's happened to me several times. I've had several of them fighting or doing something they weren't supposed to, and I send them to where I'm going to administer discipline, and I get in there, and I can't remember which kid did which thing. And so I just say, tell mommy why you need discipline. <laughs> I don't have time for a 30-minute Bible study in the bathroom, which is where we send them for their reproof, otherwise known as spanking. So I get right to the point. I ask them to tell me why they need discipline, and depending on the age of the child, I have the child verbally tell me why they are about to receive correction. And you want to make sure you're on the same page, because if little Johnny spills his sippy cup of lemonade, but he had a really bad attitude, but he thinks he's getting spanked for the, the lemonade. You just need to make sure that he knows and you know, like you're all on the same page as to why this is happening. I remind them that I discipline them because I care about them and I love them. I ask heart probing questions. I explain what the better response would have been and encourage the character trait to put on. And then I administer discipline. I always hug them or hold them on my lap if they're small, and I pray for them. If the child is still defiant or screaming, I know I'm not finished, and we start all over again. I have found that when I discipline my children consistently, I have a closer relationship with them. Number two, never administer discipline in public or in front of friends or other family members. Decide on a room in your home that can be used for correction and avoid shaming, embarrassment, or impulsive correction. And never spank a child for childishness. And sometimes this is a fine line. I just try to ask myself, okay, were they just being foolish? Or was this an accident? Did they drop Aunt Betty's glass dish on accident? Was this um, forgetfulness? You know, they just forgot to put their coat on, even though you said put your coat on. So you have to kind of think like that. In our home, we um, use the rod for two reasons. Uh, one is direct disobedience. The other is a defiant attitude. Number three, avoid the don't make me count to three statements. And I'm going to recommend a book by the exact same title, Don't Make Me Count to Three. This is by Ginger Hubbard. It's The whole book is about discipline. It is wonderful. Um, the idea here is that kids are smart. 
And after about two times of counting to three, they know they have three more seconds to disobey. It actually creates delayed obedience, which is not true obedience. In the book, I think she mentions the story of the two little girls and um, the mom of one said, oh, I'll just have my daughter count to 10 and then your daughter can have her turn. And the other mom said, no, 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 no. Your daughter doesn't need to count to 10. My daughter needs to obey. And that is so true. We tell our children in our home that obedience has three components and one cannot function without the other two. And there's a lot of different versions of this, but we tell them obedience is completely, immediately, and sweetly. So it's to be done all the way, right away, and with a good attitude. And we try to avoid the ditch of, well, they finally took the trash out, or at least they quit hitting their brother. But a heart that is angry toward obedience or delays obedience is just breeding more disobedience. You see, we must train the heart, not just the outward action. Number four, be age-appropriately transparent with your children about your sin and frequently ask forgiveness when you sin against them. Model what that looks like. It is so important children see that in the home first. I have had some children ask me, Mommy, who disciplines you? And I really love that question because it's an opportunity to explain that God disciplines me because he loves me and he cares about my growth and holiness. And then that's why we discipline our children. For the sensitive or the insecure child, remind them that you are in this with them. And this has worked for one of mine in particular. I will say, you know, we are on the same team. We just have different roles. Remind your children that you are fighting for them, praying against their sin, and trusting the Lord with the results. And then celebrate victories over sin. If you notice that your child is doing better with some sin struggle, celebrate that. Make sure you tell them you notice that. Number five, role play. <laughs> okay, so about 15 years ago, Kevin and I realized that some of their little sinful actions were just ridiculously funny just to watch them sin it was just it was so funny we thought you know if they could just see what they look like right now doing this maybe that would help so we tried this and it it seemed to work a little bit so one of us would be the defiant child and one would be the parent and we would sit the children down and we would act this out we would act out being the, the child that was upset or whatever and then the parent and then we would model the opposite and what the correct behavior or response looked like. And the kids just thought it was so funny. They would just giggle and laugh, but it really served as a visual tool for discipline. Number six, have a plan. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when your child will require discipline. I remember when all my children were very little I came, I came across a tool that was extremely helpful, and I still use it. And it's this little flip chart that details an offense with questions to ask to get to the heart of the matter, with scripture that speaks to the folly, and then scripture that speaks to the putting on characteristic. And it's actually by the same author as the Don't Make Me Count to Three. And I've got one here I'll show you. It's called Wise Words for Moms by Ginger Hubbard. And I love this. It's like a cheat sheet for moms. It's wonderful. So it lists the the behavior and then heart probing questions um, with scripture about whatever that um, 
behavior is, and then encouragement of what to put on. And so um, you guys are welcome to look at this later, but they're like five bucks on Amazon. It's wonderful. It's, it's a wonderful mommy tool because let's face it, it's hard to jump into shepherding hearts when the baby is crying, dinner is burning, and the preschooler is unraveling the toilet paper again. So this little tool serves as a great place to start with some scripted questions as you learn the art of discipline. Part of having a plan is also that the children know upfront the result of dis- disobedience. Um, on your handout under resources, there's one that says doorposts. Um, I would encourage you just to check out their resources. They have great books. They have a lot of charts that we've used through the years. And one of those is the if-then chart. And it's if Johnny does X, then Johnny receives X consequence. And it's just a great way of planning ahead of time because you just don't want to be caught off guard. If, if little Susie lies and you haven't decided what consequence there's going to be for lying in your home, you're, you're on the spot and you're not able to practice that careful discipline. It's more of a, a reaction or reactive discipline. And so they have great charts just for planning purposes for mom and dad. And it, and it keeps, it keeps mom and dad accountable. Um, and it also gives uh, children expectations. Number seven, expect it to take a lot of time. Children do not tend to disobey when it's convenient. Usually it's the opposite. They don't wait until you've had a full night's sleep, have finished your household chores, and feel spiritually refreshed. It's a constant part of your day. And when your children are young, it may feel like it's all day long. I remember vividly when I had six children under 10, I was spanking so much. I just resorted to wearing the spanking spoon as a necklace. <laughs> I had Proverbs thirteen twenty four written on it, lest I forget the importance of utilizing the rod. Wearing it around my neck served two purposes. One, it was a visual reminder to my children of the consequences of sin and disobedience. And the second thing, it was one less thing for me to do when they needed reproof. There were no excuses. I had the spanking spoon right there ready to go. Number eight, start young. Set the tone for expected obedience when they are very young. The longer you wait, the harder it becomes. The author says in the book, if we forget that sowing is a season and that every season has an end, if we put off disciplining now, soon it will be too late. Number nine, never discipline out of anger. Count to 100 or whatever you need to do, pray, and then enter the discipline routine. And when you do, then you can do it with an intentional and loving attitude that cares more about your child's character than your disappointment, your embarrassment, or the interruption of your day. It may be the most important thing you do with your child that day. Number 10, seek out resources for the strong-willed child or other special discipline concerns that require intervention. And there's a lot of great resources for this. Um, You can see me later if you want to talk about those. But one that I'll just briefly mention is a book by Lou Priolo called The Heart of Anger. Uh, This is a great book. If you have a child, and, and this is not the child with occasional anger. This is the child who's 
goes from zero to a hundred and like really angry all the time. It's great. It, there's a, um, anger heart journal that's part of it. And the children can write down or, or either verbally tell you why they were angry, but it goes through certain questions and it's sort of like peeling an, an onion layer back where you get to the root and the heart of what's really going on with the child. Um, it's, it's a really good resource. Number 11, praise more than you correct, but give yourself some grace because this is hard, right? As parents, we are programmed to kind of see what our children are doing wrong. And partly it's because we love them so much and we don't want them to make mistakes and we want them to, to be able to have the sin die and we want them to be holy, right? But we forget to praise. We forget to tell them what they're doing right, Especially at the end of the day, it's important when the world seems heavy to end on a positive note with your child and celebrate as a family when one family member overcomes a struggle. There's another chart that Doorpost put out uh, called the Blessing Chart, and it has like the fruits of the Spirit and some other um, character traits that you want your children to exhibit with scripture. And then there's a place for you to put down what reward you might give them. Whatever's a big deal to your kid. Maybe it's a piece of gum. Maybe it's a special drink at dinner or they get to skip a chore. But it's a great way to be intentional about blessing your children. Uh, Something we've done for years um, is the reverence in church one. Um, At our house, when you're reverent in church, you get a Sunday Sunday. And the children still love that. They, it, it works. Um, so just blessing your children. Have a plan for that when you see obedience and good behavior. Number 12. In real estate, agents stress location, location, location. Well, as parents, we are in a fight for the future real estate of our children's hearts. Will it be heaven or hell? And although God has has, reserves the right for the final verdict, he has purposely put parents over children to instruct in the ways of the Lord. And that is best done through relationship, 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 because that's what's going to matter when they're grown in addition to their eternal status. Sow seeds now of intentional, loving, consistent relationship that seals the foundation for a relationship that can carry over into eternity. And I love what Joel Beakey's father uh, was known to say. He would sit his children down and he would say, we know each other here on earth. Why should we not know each other in heaven? Well, I am not a parenting expert. In fact, in many ways, I am still learning as a mother. I still have my moments when I wonder if I am doing this mommy thing right. And as I was, I was preparing for this lesson, I asked my three older children, who are now 21, 18, and 16, what they remember as a young child in terms of discipline. I really put myself out there. <laughs> I didn't know what they were going to say. But this is what they said, and I hope it will be an encouragement to the young moms in the room. One said, you always explained that you disciplined me because you loved me. I didn't understand it as a child, but it makes sense now. I appreciate that I knew the expectations in advance. All the rules set in place when I was younger have made sense as I've gotten older. Another one said, you didn't over or under discipline. There was a balance. And then one said, looking back, I appreciate how we couldn't get away with sin. I don't remember you being angry when you disciplined me, which I'm thankful for, because it was hard enough to receive the punishment. (laughs) Well, God has blessed you with motherhood. It is a gift. 
and God has commanded you to discipline, but he has not left you to yourself or your favorite blog or your favorite Bible study book. He's given you the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and grace as you train the next generation for his glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we look to you as our good shepherd for how to shepherd our children and discipline them in the Lord. We ask that you would help us as we pour out our lives for the children that you've blessed us with. Help us in our endeavors to raise a godly seed, seeing discipline as a beautiful gift that we can give our children. And may the mothers in this room carefully shepherd the hearts and minds of their children, recognizing the bigger picture of your desire to mold and prepare these little image bearers running around in our homes for eternity. May we be reminded that children are on loan to us for whatever season of motherhood we find ourselves in. May we be good stewards in the keeping and care of our flocks. Sanctify our motherhood. I pray for your glory alone in Jesus' name. Amen.